0: Buddhism, there's this saying that, you know, as you breathe in, it's giving new life. It's like a mini birth each time. And as you breathe out, it's the opposite. It's it's an exit. It's it's a little death. And I love to just put my hands on my heart and take a few deep breaths to remind myself that I have the, the power and the, the tools to affect a transformation, even if it is just a simple shift or, or softening of mindset. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast
1: with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me, And let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hello. Welcome back to the season two finale of Our Nature. I started Our Nature a year and a half ago. And I could never have imagined the richness it has brought to my life. From connecting me with new wonderful friends and offering me an outlet for my creativity to, most importantly, shepherding me back time and time again to the natural world. A special thank you to everyone who has been on this journey with me, whether you've been listening or connecting with me on Instagram or on email. It has been an honor using this platform to foster an ever-growing community of seekers who are returning to themselves by returning to nature. If you are new to our nature, welcome to the podcast. Each week, I interview individuals who have cultivated a deep connection with the natural world as a means of self-discovery, growth, and ultimately fulfillment. Some of these individuals are experts in systems like Ayurveda and biomimicry or are artists who've turned to nature for inspiration. Others have felt dissatisfied with their life or have fallen ill and found both meaning and healing were waiting for them just outside their door. Though each episode offers a unique voice and application, There is a consistent thread. When we connect with the natural world, we connect with the deeper, intuitive parts of ourselves. Parts that contain the intelligence of the universe, teaching us how to flow with life. Teaching us grace. This season, my personal theme has been about returning to... When I began this podcast, I was living in New York City and was accustomed to a life spent largely indoors. Though I had grown up in wooded upstate New York, with the outdoors as my primary domain, the balance had shifted from forests and streams to pavement and artificial light. Nature became unfamiliar and consequently uncomfortable. I've spoken a lot on this podcast about the difference between something being unfamiliar and something being incompatible. For me, developing a deeper relationship with nature has been largely about turning towards discomfort, both in the physical sense, like facing the elements, and in the spiritual sense, when nature forces me to confront my inner experience to be present, when all I want to do is ignore my feelings in favor of distraction. But as I've leaned in, the balance slowly shifted from discomfort to comfort, from distraction to presence. Since May, my partner and I have been hiking every weekend. Each time I go, my connection with nature grows and previously buried wild parts of me are revealed. During the week to break up my work day, I go on mini Zen nature walks, moving slowly and with intention up and down the dirt driveway where I'm staying in Vermont. I take in the feeling of the breeze, the sounds of the rustling leaves, the movement of the squirrels and chipmunks. It's a simple practice. But to me, it's sacred. This idea of simple being sacred is a concept that my friend Jen Tardiff introduced me to, and it's a frame for what we'll be exploring in this episode. I've wanted to have Jen as a guest on Our Nature ever since the podcast launched, so I'm incredibly excited that she's sharing her wisdom with us on this Season 2 finale episode. Jen is the founder of Third Ritual, a global collective that creates mindful objects, botanical blends, and esoteric content, all of which are intended to help us move half as fast and notice twice as much. Jen is a mother, a teacher, and a lifelong student of Taoism, traditional Chinese medicine, yogic philosophy, numerology and sacred geometry. She's also a certified aromatherapist, a mentor to new and aspiring leaders in the wellness world, and a ritual guide who's led ceremonies for rites and celebrations all over the globe. I absolutely love everything Jen creates because she does so with grace, intention, and impeccable taste. She's one of the wisest people I know, and it's an honor to welcome her to the Our Nature community. We're recording this in fall, a season that can be anxiety-inducing for many, especially in 2020. So we're going to delve deeper into some of the practices that can help us harmonize with our surroundings, inviting, in turn, a greater felt sense of safety in our own skin In this episode, we touch on the origins of Third Ritual and its offerings, the Third Ritual retreat, an auditory respite delivered in podcast form, the symbolism and meaning of the seasons according to traditional Chinese medicine, what nature can teach us about dualism and binary thinking, ways to connect with nature from wherever you are, the difference between ritual and routine, and Jen's personal rituals for these times. As a way to put intention into practice, Jen is going to lead us through a short guided breathwork ritual for the season so that we may check in with our body, mind, and spirit. Stay tuned until the end of the episode, after the last five questions, to experience this special offering. So let's get into it. Welcome to my conversation with the ever-inspiring Jen Tardiff. Hello, Jen. Welcome to Our Nature. Thank you. I... Actually had you in mind as a guest when I started my podcast over a year ago um, you're someone I always wanted to talk to, and i we actually met shortly after I launched my podcast, or maybe shortly before I launched my podcast Just yeah before. shortly before yeah I feel like we met at a time when we were both sort of stepping into our respective creative pursuits in in various ways. One of the reasons why I always wanted to have you as a guest on the show is that as soon as we met, I felt a kinship with you and it's so interesting because both of what we create shares a similar mission of Elevating practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. I, through this podcast, and you through Third Ritual, your company. And on Third Ritual's website, you write We create mindful objects, share esoteric content, and host intimate events that make meaning from the ordinary. Can you talk more about how this manifests? at third.
0: Sure. Um, And thank you for that. Such a kind intro. And um, it's one that, you know, without having this medium of, you know, interviewing and knowing that we're recording, we don't always stop to do like just in a regular friendship or relationship, you know, look back and think about the origin story. I mean, people often ask that with a romantic relationship, like how did you meet or what was going on in your life at that time? And so it's actually so. Nice and something that I hope to do more of in friendships or even in collaborative relationships because um, the beginning really sets the the tone for you know the journey. So I just really appreciate that and you having me um, on your your show, which I really um, love and listen to as well. Um, and to answer your question about our offering, it's it's really equal parts tools and techniques. So you know we create physical ritual objects like our, our bell candle. And um, we have a trio of aromatherapeutic botanical bombs, but we also share the teachings that, you know, we most revere through, through stories, through content, also through, through prompts, like open-ended questions that are really intended to provide the necessary context to benefit from, and also to, you know, apply these ancient practices in modern life. So, you know, one of the one of my favorite m- metaphors for this is that it's like ingredients and a recipe, you know, they're two halves of a whole and they're inextricably linked and you kind of you need both in order to to cook a new meal or at least to cook a, a you know, a meal for the first time. Can
1: you say more about some of those offerings?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think since our inception we felt that you couldn't have just one object or or ritual tool without also having you know for for lack of a better way of saying it like the instruction manual so the very first thing that we created um is called the bell candle and for those who haven't seen it it's a solid brass candle holder and it comes with taper candles that are hand dipped and you place these little pins into the candlestick Um, And there's a ruler on the packaging so you can set it for the five or 10 or 15 minute mark. And then as the candle burns, the pin will drop and it'll sound, you know, a resonant ding, which is really, you know, reminiscent of that of a Tibetan singing bowl. Um, and so like our name suggests, we often harness the power of, of three. And so there's a, a trinity even in that singular offering of, you know, using scent, sight and sound or, or, or fire, you know, gravity and sound. And um, it's really a way to try to harness the senses to capture and captivate our attention and it was something that you know was very much a returning to going back to the elements going back to basics going back to these ancient uh traditions which in this case it's the tradition of tataka candle gazing um instead of you know towards what we were seeing popping up everywhere in the, you know, mindfulness space, which was more meditation apps and sort of technological solutions to trying to, you know, bring these practices into our lives. We, we actually wanted to try to innovate by, you know, keeping it simple by paring it down. Um, so that's just, you know, one example that, you know, kind of helps to showcase the way that our methodology and, you know, philosophy manifests and comes to life in it in a really tangible and and tactile way but in the same sense that you know uh, the tool itself isn't inherently magical like you know a hammer is just a hammer but it's it's you by way of your intention that either use it uses it to you know build something or destroy something and that's where you know coupling it with what I was referring to as like the recipe or the instruction manual or the the technique um really is so embedded in in our offering because you know a ritual has certain ingredients that are that are necessary in order for it to be you know something that's that's different and decidedly um separate from that of just routine um and one of those really being intention and and you know what you're using this almost like a container to hold and to fill and to you know maybe celebrate as a marker in time or to use as a as a map back to yourself or something else
1: speaking of intention and of origin which is what we were talking about our origin story and i i love A lot of times when I start this podcast, I ask people, what was your relationship like to nature as a child? And the reason why I ask that is because when we're younger, we don't have the same conditioning that we do as adults. And so much of the practice of returning to nature is about that deconditioning. Um, So one, it's interesting to understand that. And two, so much of our experience When we're younger informs how we see and view the world and act with intention when we're older. So I really love this idea of like the origin of your relationship to nature or the origin of your whatever you create. And so I'd love to hear more about the origin of Third Ritual. Because we often create what we hope to see in the world. So what inspired you to create Third Ritual? What's the origin story of your company?
0: Yeah, I, I love the, I'm going to try to not overly, you know, <laughs> compliment you throughout this, but I just love the way you keep creating these containers, like the way that you even frame that that question, because that's exactly it. You know, I've been te- teaching yoga and meditation for a while before I started leading um these in-person gatherings that were very much the seed of of what would become third ritual and i think that that initial spark was somewhat self-serving in the sense that it was an offering that i myself craved and couldn't find like if it existed i would have happily you know n- embarked as a participant and Um, and so that's what I love about, you know, when, when you, when you can't find it, sometimes you have to make it or (laughs) manifest it. Um, and you know, these gatherings, they were kind of like a tasting menu for ritual. Clearly food runs deep as a favorite metaphor of mine. Um, and I'd always build a custom altar. So if you imagine like, flower petals and, and rocks and other natural elements all arranged in like a really meticulous sort of pattern um, with, you know, ties to sacred geometry and the elements. These would, would come to life as we would sit in circle and then move through different practices. So anything from, you know, guided meditation or aromatherapy, intention setting, painting, journaling, breath work, they were always very seasonal. So the practices themselves would change based on, you know, the time of year and um, what we felt through this sort of like modern lens was most needed in order to cultivate that, you know, ever elusive balance at the time. And um, and we would actually, you know, kind of take the altar apart and use those ingredients as our tools. So if it was an aromatherapy workshop, you know, we would in in some cases make our own blends. So we would learn about the plant materials and talk about, you know, how, you know, even like an essential oil was, um, derived and what might work for specific ailments or, you know, if somebody was blending for, with somebody else in mind, um, how to maybe, you know, achieve their, their intention and, um, and that really, you know, gave birth to and and led to creating the tools because not everyone is able to, you know, come to to New York and 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 sit in circle with us. Um, and even though we tried to, you know, bring them, uh, you know, to many different locations around the world, it was it's always very intimate, and um, there could be a bit of a disconnect between the way that you might feel. When you were in ceremony, when you were being guided, you know, by a teacher, and then how you felt, let's say, when stress was at its highest point in a meeting or at work. And so, a lot of folks were asking, "How can I incorporate some of these practices into those really mundane moments? Like, how can I achieve even a, a seed of this um, every night as I put myself to bed, or how can I do it in a really subtle way?" Um, so that maybe no one necessarily knows I'm, I'm practicing box breathing or whatever it may be, but I'm, but I'm doing it and I'm regulating and I'm mediating. And, um, and that's where we wanted to, to start, you know, offering these, these tangible tools that, you know, we're continuing to always research and, and develop, um, to create a more, you know, as, as we continue to get feedback and, and, and hear from different folks and also as the times continue to change and therefore what ails us continues to change, we um we will hopefully keep expanding our offering in a really mindful way so that depending on what's going on or what you need, we have something, whether it's even just a, a you know, something as easy to access as a poem or um, you know, a bomb to to provide a little bit more support.
1: I love so much about what you just said because I think about access points and I've been thinking about access a lot because this podcast is all about connecting with nature. There's a real reality that not everyone has access to nature in the same way that others do. You know, there's disparities with that access. And so, so much of what I really hope to provide with this podcast is tools or practices or ways in no matter the level of access or time or um, desire you have, like wherever you're at on that spectrum. But I have to say, without compromising the integrity and the intentionality of, of what we're, we're offering. And what I love so much about what you create is that every tool that you make can be used at whatever point that person is at and whatever level, like whatever level of depth they, they desire to go. I have sitting next to me your sun and moon mm-hmm. um, lotions. I You call them lotions, right?
0: Yeah, moon is a lotion. Sun's a gel. A gel, yes.
1: You know, sometimes there are moments when I want to use sun and I just want to rub it between my palms and cover my face and have an aromatherapy moment because the smell is so incredible and it kind of like lifts your senses. Um, And then there are other times when I actually want to use it as part of a deeper practice, whether I'm meditating or whether I'm about to do some gentle movement. So again it's it's sort of like whatever point you're at there's there's a way in and something that i was so excited to see in terms of the the speaking of the development of your offerings was this third ritual retreat that you launched this year in the time of coronavirus and it was it is an auditory experience delivered in a podcast form and what I loved about it was I had had, I had been fortunate enough to attend one of your third ritual events and third ritual gatherings before, um, every, you know, the shutdown and and everything happened. And it was, it was just such an incredibly, um, powerful, Experience because you know how to create a container of safety for everyone that attends, mm-hmm. and I felt this similar feeling when I was listening to the third ritual retreat. Um, this feeling of safety, which for me seems to be the the foundation for any time you're leaning into like vulnerability or sort of turning inward, it's like that feeling of safety has to be present. So. Can you talk more about why you chose to lean into audio and in particular podcasting?
0: Yeah. And I think it's really similar to, you know, your last question around um, creating what it is that you yourself are seeking. And I think especially at the time, you know, the context of COVID and quarantine, um, there was a huge uptick in people who are doing Instagram lives or, you know, virtual classes over, you know, zoom or, um, other channels. And I think that that was really amazing and great, but there was sort of an abundance of that. And in an attempt to never add to the noise, you know, for the same reason that on the product side, we try not to, you know, create a version of anything that already exists um, we, we really thought a lot about the the medium itself and something that I personally struggled with. And, and just, you know, to clarify, like, I love, I'm so here for, for some of those video classes and like will participate myself and like to take, you know, a yoga class in, on the days where I'm feeling less inspired to lead my own practice. And yet, in order for me to, you know, film myself, there was like a huge, huge amount of, um, just, I don't know, old like body image issues and just some stuck stories around the performative aspect that I couldn't quite grapple with. And when I used to teach, um, yoga in person, I, I would always tell my students, you know, you, this isn't a, performance like we're not in it's different than like a dance studio there aren't mirrors on the wall don't worry so much about how it looks but keep coming back to keep tuning into and keep noticing how it feels and I I kind of I wondered like how could we capture some of what we we do and thank you for that great compliment around this sense of safety from our in-person gatherings And still reach people in their homes. And that's where, you know, audio felt like um, a really beautiful way that in the same, you know, we're harnessing, obviously, hearing in in this capacity. And it's really similar to me um, to aromatherapy and why I love working with scent so much, because in either case, you're using the senses almost like a rope to guide you deeper into the cave of your mind than maybe you would be able to if you were just left to your own devices and distractions. And then the other piece and the other sort of constraint that we gave ourselves as we started doing this recording was one that was somewhat, you know, just dictated by the reality of I'm, you know, a mom, I don't have childcare um, right now. So I was recording these at odd hours in part because a lot of the folks that we had on are in, you know, really different time zones, but it was when my daughter was napping or, you know, after she'd gone to bed at night. And so the, what we ended up with were were these really economical, um, sessions and, you know, some of which are like six minutes long, um, because we wanted to meet people where they were at. And maybe that was between, you know, meetings as they're working from home and they only had, a few minutes to check in. And, you know, like all things, it was the it was a first pancake, which means it was not perfect. And, you know, I think we're already starting to form what will be our, our season two. I clearly don't even have the podcasting lingo down. So thanks for welcoming me so warmly to this space where I'm a total novice, but um, you know, we heard from a lot of folks after the first one that, you know, it's meant to be experiential and we guide people through a lot of practices, but so often people are multitasking and maybe they're listening to it as they're walking their dog or, you know, doing the dishes. And so I think in our second season, we're going to try to um, just keep that in mind so that, you know, not everyone's going to necessarily reach down and touch their toes, even though we're inviting them to do so. And so that was really, a really great learning for me. But for those of you who, are hearing this and like, no, I'm, I'm willing to like carve out space and, and, you know, put headphones in and actually light a candle, pull out a pen and and my journal and and go deeper than, than it's very much for you.
1: I think the concept of a frame is very helpful because it provides people a way to make sense of and navigate the world around them. And one of the frames that I view the world through is and and you know sort of the foundation for this podcast is the idea that we are nature, so to know nature is to know ourselves. Another is through the ancient teachings of Ayurveda. You are a student of traditional Chinese medicine, and you often turn to that frame for guidance and for wisdom on how to navigate life, and in particular, the cycles that are inherent to our journey on this earth. Can you talk more about one of the major cycles of the earth, the, the seasons, and their significance
0: Sure. I mean, that. yes, (laughs) that's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, So thank you for teaming me up to do so. And I'll try to practice what I was just preaching about and keep it somewhat um, succinct. But in, you know, I think in summary, um, this idea of staying healthy with the seasons, which, you know, for anyone who is curious to, to learn more about that, I, I would be remiss not to just at the forefront of this mention a book by the same title, Staying Healthy with the Seasons, and it's by Elson Hass, and it's an incredible introduction into everything that I'm about to share, and it maps it out so, so beautifully. And this this idea is kind of like being handed a map, you know, like as you mentioned, we're we're always surrounded by natural patterns. But when there's a moment of tension, it means that there's resistance at play. And that might or might not be conscious you know and and it's really a resistance to the the flow of movement that's occurring around us and within us. And when I say within us, you know, it can be anything from our, um, you know, our biology, our our energy, our emotions, like us as, as women with our menstrual cycles, like all of these things are in constant flux and they have a direct correlation and relationship and effect on our creativity, our compassion, our self-awareness, our reflection, our ability to be productive, our need for rest, our connection to the spiritual, to our families and, and, and beyond, I, you know, can go on and on and on. But, um, what having this, you know, quote unquote map provides is a reassurance and, um, and sort of a, a, like a guidebook to creating that balance. It reminds me a lot of like, if you've lost track of time and all of a sudden you feel exhausted and then you were to look over at the clock and realize it's like one in the morning. It's like, oh yeah, no, of course I'm exhausted. It's really late, and I need to go to bed. And that's obviously an overly simplistic example, but it's the same thing that can occur in terms of eating different foods during different times of the year, or um, you know, practicing different rituals, so that you can find your way. Home And in TCM, they're each um, each season of which there are five, the extra one being late summer, what we just um, closed in the northern hemisphere. And they're each seasons paired with an element and a pair of organs. So it starts with spring because that's, you know, spring is like characterized by by wind, which clears out the old and brings in the new. That's when in Chinese, we actually set intentions, not January 1. We're still in winter, but it's in spring. We're, we're planting the seeds that will later sprout new life and new ideas. And, and then fall, we harvest them. And so, you know, spring is the element of wood. Then you move into fire, which is the element. Um, which is the element linked to summer, and that's the most energetic, you know it's where we we see abundance happening, expansiveness happening it's it's the element that governs the heart and the small intestine, and then we move into late summer, which is the the sort of like extra season that marks the change between summer and fall, and it's governed governed by the earth element. so it's really about the the power of manifestation. Um, the organs are the spleen and the stomach. And then that leads us into fall where, where we are right now. And this can get a little confusing for those like yourself who are more students of Ayurveda, because people are often looking for the air element, which is not present in TCM and fall is linked to metal, but it's, it's actually very, very similar to air. And this might be, you know, somewhat controversial, but I, I kind of, when people are looking to, to map, you know, one lineage onto another, because I'm sort of like non dogmatic in that approach, I always say air equals, equals metal. And then, you know, rightfully so it's, it's the lungs, it's the large intestine, it's, um you know, it's, it's our breath. And then last, but certainly, certainly not least um, we have, have winter of course. And so that's the element of water and it's linked to, kidneys and the bladder. And um, so, you know, if you think about what happens in nature after, you know, you have your your harvests, which have grown into abundance, this becomes the time to sort of reap the benefits and and to take joy and stock of all the, the fruition and the growth that occurred from spring through summer. And autumn, you know, it really marks the beginning of a cycle and usually it's it's begins on you know September 22nd which is the equinox when night's darkness is is about equal in length to the light of the day and it's this shift energetically and emotionally where our time and our focus starts to tune a little bit more towards self towards the family, towards the home. And um, there are, you know, rituals that can help guide us there if we feel that for some reason or another, again, conscious or unconsciously, we've started to resist that or fall out of flow and out of out of tune with that. And um, that can manifest in so many different ways. If it's happening on a physical level, you know, there are foods that you can eat, there are exercises that you can do. If it's happening in terms of your sleep, there might be a series of practices that you do leading up to and preparing for and setting the stage for this descent into sleep slumber. And I fear that I'm, I'm sort of rambling. So I'll pause there to get some feedback from you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm incredibly fascinated by this because like I said, I study Ayurveda and I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that this time period is one of returning home, maybe to yourself. Um, So there are six seasons in Ayurveda, just to add one more (laughs) to the mix. (laughs) So this season two starts on the equinox um, and goes to mid November. Um, but in Ayurveda, in order to balance that wind energy that you mentioned, that air airiness, so much of it involves sort of turning inward and grounding yourself in a variety of ways. Similarly, like the foods you eat, the practices you do the way that you treat yourself, the way that you treat others. So it's, it's just really interesting. Um, And it makes sense that they are similar because all of these ancient practices were originate or originated in accordance with what was happening in the environment. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, it's, I just need to speak to the the person who might be listening to this thinking like, well, well, great, good for you. Like you have a map and you, you know, have this like perfect, perfect recipe. And I just need to address the fact and, and almost like clarify that, you know, there is a difference between knowing and doing like, this is a theory, but the practice is another thing. Like I, I love French fries and a glass of wine. <laughs> there are times that I, you know, will just let myself like indulge or or, you know, almost check out a little bit from what I know that, you know, I might actually need to be my healthiest self in that moment in time. But it's just to say that at least when, you know, you are ready to return and when you are starting to really crave that that balance, that there's almost this like trail of Breadcrumbs waiting to lead you back, and that it can also be really, really simple. Because that's one of the the things that I hear so often from folks who are either curious to learn more about this or, um, you know, just looking to incorporate some new habits or practices into their life. It can feel really daunting, you know, to start with, like, I don't know, sitting for an hour every day. And that's not at all what I'm about because I don't think that that's actually setting anyone up for success. And so I just wanted to, you know, underscore the fact that really simple practices can also be sacred. Like you had, um, you had asked that, you know, perhaps in this episode, I would lead us through something, which we'll, we'll get into later on. But as we, as we focus on this season, Metal and and its corresponding organ of the lungs, its breath. Like that's you know, I, it was without hesitation. I was like, we'll do some breath work. And you don't need anything. You don't need to buy anything. So long as you're 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 here and you're alive and you have and you have a breath, you can participate in this really um, powerful relationship between the inner and outer worlds. That's what's so. Incredible about our lungs that they're con- in constant communication between the you know inner and outer atmospheres, and in in Buddhism, like there's this saying that you know as you breathe in, it's giving new life. It's like a mini birth each time, and as you breathe out, it's the opposite. It's it's an exit. It's it's a little death, and I love to just put my hands on my heart and take a few deep breaths to remind myself that you know I have the the power and the the tools to affect a transformation even if it is just a simple shift or or softening of mindset.
1: I appreciate that you bring that up because one that is a similar that approach is how I also think about the intention of this podcast, again, is to make things accessible and not feel so daunting or overwhelming when connecting with the natural world. And I also, it made me think about this idea of like, of course, it's so much harder for us to connect with the seasons and connect with nature cycles because we our lives are not um, oriented to be in that connection like we used to be, you know, thousands upon thousands of years ago. So no wonder that connection can feel difficult or it can be so easy to ignore the changes in our environment around us. And that's something I have also a lot of empathy for because I've definitely experienced in my own journey this, again, deconditioning and this sort of um, new attunement to the changes in the natural world and how that manifests within myself, within my body. Mm -hmm. If we turn towards nature and turn towards these cycles what do we learn and what do we gain from connecting to them, such as the moon cycles or the seasons, rather than contracting towards maybe more binary thinking or
0: dualism? My first thought was actually one that is a little bit more like corporate jargon which might seem like a very bizarre juxtaposition to this um, poetic question that you just presented but it's it's that we don't always hold the right metrics um, when we're looking for feedback or even you know to confirm or validate our choices. I think that societally and culturally we've been, very conditioned to you know subscribe to this false notion that like speed equals strength or you know bigger is better and um bullshit <laughs> you know like i think that that's something that i'm very much uh, constantly trying to to rid myself of and to undo this this stuck story around because Um, you know, you don't have to look further than out your own window to see that, you know, a, a tree isn't always sprouting new leaves, there is a time in which it almost looks like dead, and it's going to come back to life. And that that's exactly, you know, as it should, because nothing is, is permanent. And it's in, it's in constant flux, you know, there's this, there's this line in the the 29th verse of the Tao that says, just as you breathe in and breathe out, there is a time for being ahead and a time for being behind. And I think that it feels so bad to rest and to not be doing something if the metric that you've decided matters most is your output and your productivity. And yet, you know, just again, taking cues from nature, like you will, you will run yourself ragged. Like burnout is real. If you only have one speed, if you're only going in, in one direction, um, it's not sustainable. And that's where I think that, you know, connecting with nature and aligning yourself to, to the cycles maybe is almost this like bait and switch to, to, to trick yourself by way of all of this esoteric dialogue and knowledge into really understanding and embodying the fact that that you as a living being just as you need to breathe in and breathe out need times where you are going to do and other times where you are going to receive you need times to reflect and rest and be quiet and be still so that when it is time to create, and it is time to um, bring your your full attention and energy to something else. You're going to be restored. You're going to have you know a newfound um, and and ideally and hopefully clear perception um, and intention, so that you know what you what you aspire to create aligns with that what you do instead of the opposite, which is you know sort of an autopilot for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah, that's so beautifully said. And I think we see it reflected in nature all the time. I've been doing this practice that doesn't really feel like a practice is more of just a part of my life at this point, which is I've been um, living in rural Vermont for a few months and the, the house that I'm staying in is is super high up. It's like 40 feet above the ground. Wow. So yeah, we're really like amongst the trees. It's incredible. I feel like I'm living in this tree house. And what happens when you are living 40 feet up is you see what happens um 40 feet in the air amongst the trees. And so much of what I see are is the behavior of the birds and the behavior of the squirrels. And I've just found this new joy in watching their behavior, especially in this fall season leading up to winter mm-hmm. as they scurry around, you know, eating as many nuts as they can and, you know, jumping from limb to limb and, hanging on by a thread and, and they're just, they're frantic. I mean, it's kind of, ins- they look insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what's interesting is it reminds me of what you said. It's like they're in hyperdrive, mm-hmm. but after th- this is not going to last, like this mode for them is going to come to an end mm-hmm. come winter and then they're going to rest.
0: Yeah,
1: And I, and I think about that a lot of like Wow, these squirrels—they literally look crazy right now. They're like on steroids. Like, and I don't know if you've ever watched a squirrel; they never stay still. And their hearts, even when they're they're totally still, you know their their bodies are still. If you look at their hearts, they're beating so quickly—it's like, you know, they're just frantic beings. But it it really reminds me of like that mode that so many people get into. Yeah, and then never
0: stop. Right, and it's not an either or. Like that was, you know, another thing that you you touched on, which I failed to address, which was the, um, you know, this sort of like dualistic or or almost like binary or or polarizing, um, perspective. And I think that it's just again important to come back to the fact that this. Like ever elusive, you know, state of balance actually exists within the interaction of those opposing forces. So you and I have, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's and I've, I've, you know, thought a lot about the yin yang symbol. That was what our even logo mark was um, very heavily inspired from. And you know, I think at first glance it appears to represent light versus dark or you know as you're just talking about the squirrels it's like effort or grace but it's actually the seed of light within the dark or vice versa that you know creates this inextricable link and that's this necessary duality that forms the whole and and so i think what you're what you're kind of touching on is so important to underscore here that it's you know when we view our own lives through this binary lens of like good or bad or Good or evil, you know, then we can lose sight of that constant ebb and flow that's actually much more nuanced and it's impermanent. So when it feels really heavy, just coming back to the fact that it's not forever can be the very thing that cuts a little hole in and starts to allow the light to shine through you know and and all of that is just it's perfectly imperfect because that's the that's the forever dance.
1: Yeah. And it's exactly the way that our bodies work mm-hmm. physiologically. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to remember because I also know that a lot of people are probably dealing with heightened anxiety or depression. I know that my anxiety has been particularly potent lately. Mm. And when you're in those moments, one, a lot of times you know your brain gets hijacked and you go to those binary states but it's really interesting to return to this idea of of what you said of this of this constant state of ebb and flow which is exactly what's happening in nature and realize that that's also happening within us even when we're maybe in a certain particular imbalance or um something's happening Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel so comfortable Mm -hmm. how has nature and what you've learned from it and and this idea of the cyclical aspects of it shaped the way you run your company
0: yeah I mean that has this idea is is very much um linked to why we created third in the first place. Like even, even in our, in our name, right? Like it's why we, it's, sometimes people are like, why not first ritual? (laughs) And, And, you know, the, the, the three itself is a nod to what that interdependence that you just described, like this, this relationship between these two seemingly opposing forces, like how can you create A product and a company within this capitalist system, but stay adhered and aligned to and, and, you know, continue to take your cues from nature. And for me, the answer really lies in, you know, this sort of mindful um, approach where we have to mediate because, you know, we don't exist in a vacuum or a void. And there are certain, rules that we didn't make that still govern, you know, our ability to, to share, um, and connect with others like social media or even this, the platform that we're using right now. Um, but then it's like within the confines of that, how can we, um, you know, return to the, the metrics that might be somewhat unconventional, but that ultimately, let all of us sleep better at night, you know? And so to answer in a more, with a more literal example, um, one of the things that comes to mind is the way in which we, you know, we create new products and I've worked for companies in the past. And I know that you have as well, who adhere to like a much more rigorous, um, you know, product roadmap and it, and there might be some like KPI or or goal that you have to release, you know, a new product like every, you know, week. And that can work really, really well, especially if you're, you know, in a tech company or um, if, you know, if you have deep pockets and it's venture backed and it, and it's very profitable and I'm not knocking that at all, but in terms of, you know, building something that in some ways is going against the grain and, and really something that we wanted to, Ensure we're practicing what we preach and are innovating from the inside out, not for the sake of being innovative, but again, for, you know, this kind of call to something that's greater than each of us individually, but that as a collective can inform, you know, the way that we are continually learning and and adapting and refining. Um, We do it seasonally so that, you know, there are times of the year, just like in that beautiful verse from the Tao, where we're, we're more productive and we're focused more on, on, on product. And even, you know, the fact that we're in autumn right now and I'm a little bit more in in tune and in touch with the teachings and doing things like this, where I'm like, you know, sharing them with you through your, your platform to reach your community. And that's sort of like an outward expression. It's a reaping of the harvest of a lot of that abundance, which has just occurred in summer and then come winter, we go a little bit more quiet and it becomes a time to reflect and where, you know, I see a, a lot of companies starting to forecast like what's going to happen for the year ahead. We, we, we take a lot of time and, and we put a lot of energy and focus into looking back, you know, like what in our rearview mirror um, is, is, you know, trying to teach us a lesson or, or how can we listen more than we, we speak and how can we, you know, take a break from, from making so that we can ensure that when we come back to it, it's really infused with, with meaning. Um, And another example, you know, in, in case the, not everybody can relate to like the product cycle or the product roadmap um, piece of it is even just, you know, in terms of hiring, like, I, I think that like you, I, when I initially started this, I admittedly had moments where I would get swept up in what other people were doing or what I had been told was like, quote unquote, you know, the right way to, to build a business. And, um, and again, it's, it's like the, the, you know, in the same way that our, our, our external offering is equal parts tools and techniques. The, The internal aspect to that is that it has to be equal parts data driven and, and human. Although there might be some, you know, great data points for putting out a new product every week or um, for, you know, hiring um, someone with a, like that your first hire should be a certain skill set. Again, it has to also run through the filter of intuition and how does it sit in, in your head, in your heart, in your gut. And, you know, another example that, that comes to mind in that regard for me is like, i we when initially building our team, um, we went through a lot of learnings there, so, all of which I'm you know incredibly grateful for, but ultimately, I think I was really hesitant to you know work with people that I already was really close with and you know people that I loved because it felt like there was so much at stake there, and people always say like don't get into business with you know your friends and and that is what ended up happening, and I couldn't be. I couldn't be happier because I think that, especially in this case, when it feels, you know, at the risk of sounding um, like overly congratulatory, like it, this is my life's work, and the idea of, you know, going through the the day to day and the ups and inevitable downs with anyone other than, you know, the the people who I also are either my literal family or chosen family, um, it, I think would really have a different impact on the output. You know, I always say that it's like you can taste the mood that a chef was in when you eat the meal. And, you know, so the person I work the most closely with on this business is, you know, one of my best friends, she's like a sister to me. And, you know, my daughter calls her auntie. And I think some people might Think, oh man, that 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 could be really messy. But I think that instead, what it, it allows us to do is, you know, remove those barriers, remove that separation between church and state, and bring our whole selves to this process, and and therefore these, you know, these these teachings, these tools, and and to um, ensure that we're practicing the the tenets that we are not willing to compromise things like compassion and kindness and, you know, just constant feedback um, for one another.
1: And I think it creates community. I keep thinking about what this, this pandemic of loneliness, um, this idea that people are lonelier than ever. And, you know, when you read about, our, our ancestors thousands of years ago, they existed in these incredibly tight, and even indigenous cultures, they exist in these incredibly tight-knit communities that only thrive if everyone is altruistic in their behavior and and sort of thinking about the collective. And so in some ways, I feel like the, the way that you're going about even the people that you have Brought into third ritual is similar and it probably is actually what's very natural for us as humans Um, so in that way it also sort of mirrors I think how many species exist also in nature I know we've both been reading uh, I think it's the hidden life of trees Mm -hmm. and trees are like that as well they have these intricate systems of roots and they have these communities and and they support each other and there's a closeness there and i think this idea that you know when we have companies we will operate with some distance around the people that are are in our our span of influence or the people that we are surrounded by just feels wholly unnatural and i think many people feel quite lonely
0: yeah i mean at the risk of sounding a martyr i th- i think i actually still have some ptsd from my you know former corporate life which was really riddled with all these microaggressions and you know hours and hours spent in these meetings where there was like a lot of you know kind of like political subtexts at play and it just i think energetically it took a real toll on my on my body and on my my mind and on my spirit and um I love that you just you know referenced again that this is something we don't have to look further than our own backyards to witness, and not even you know I'm a lover of language and semantics are very sacred to us, and that's why we even call our we don't even say you know company or brand or, or team the thing that from the beginning when it was just like me and my husband <laughs> the thing that always resonated the most was collective because it is like. A swarm of bees or a school of fish or a flock of birds in that way we're united by by movement and it's about going in the same direction you know and in the case of third and i think our nature is similar to this it's just this constant peeling back of the layers how can i find you know more meaning in this moment how can i feel you know more grounded or more grateful or or adopt a little bit more reverence all so that you know, it's not about being happy all the time. That's, you know, that's an unattainable goal. It's not about perfection. That does not exist. That's fiction. But instead, how could it just feel a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more at home, you know, in my own skin? And I really think that it's kind of archaic, this this notion that like we work to live when, especially now, as so many folks are working from home or without childcare and those lines have been blurred, you end up spending so much time plugged in, or, you know, you're getting Slack notifications after hours, or you're just thinking about work. And so I really wish that for for everyone as a baseline, that with that, you know, work could come a sense of being seen and respected and, and, um, and true the collaboration in the truest sense of the word, because that's what gives us Connectivity, and that's the antidote to the loneliness that you were rightfully naming as, you know, a, almost a, a real plague of this time.
1: Expanding upon this a bit further and maybe going a bit deeper, we talked about the cycles in nature and what we can learn from them. And then we touched on how you run third ritual from a place of um, sort of being in harmony with many of the teachings of the natural world and of nature. As an individual, how might we begin to integrate some of these learnings and teachings from nature? Like, how would we begin to cultivate a connection to nature in our everyday lives? And, you know, considering the realities of modern living and you know sort of what you touched on how many people are also working and being full-time parents without childcare, care um, not always having access to nature how would one despite all of these barriers yeah. begin to go deeper
0: well I return to this notion that you'll you know, you see, kind of peppered throughout a lot of our our writing and our the stories that we share on on third, which is that simple can be sacred. And I, I I repeat it a lot because it's one of those things that only through repetition, like maybe it's on the the ninth or tenth time that somebody hears it or sees it written, that it's really actually heard. And um and I think that that's really important in terms of setting yourself up for success in this regard. Because again, if you start by, you know, attempting to climb a mountain, um, you might not achieve what feels like, you know, like the quote unquote top, and therefore you might be less willing or motivated to try again. But instead, if it can be something that keeps the constraints that you outlined in mind, um, like going for a walk without your phone, And earbuds in and any other distraction and just allowing yourself to notice the sounds the smells the sights that's mindfulness and all that mindfulness is really doing is heightening our awareness to the here and now because so often we're either caught up in what's about to happen what's next and the future or we might be you know feeling guilty or reminiscing or, or, you know, replaying the past. And when we can notice first our surroundings and using the senses is a really incredible gateway to help direct and um, almost like a, like the maestro of an orchestra, like keep pointing our attention back to that, which is all around us, the nature that's all around us. If it's not you know, if you don't have access to an ocean or, or a forest, that's okay. It can be, you know, the tree on your neighbor's lawn. It can be the sound of a bird outside your window. Um, small can be really sacred. And then the other piece of that is the is are the somatic sensations. You know, we talked about the patterns in nature like the weathers and the the you know, the phases of the moon or the tides or the seasons themselves, but then there are also these constant biological and emotional cycles that play within us. And one really simple you know, way to access that is, again, not an hour, but maybe 60 seconds, one minute, putting your hand on your heart, the other hand on the belly, and checking in. Noticing how it feels, where it's heavy, where the breath does and doesn't want to go. You can do this before bed, first thing when you wake up in the morning. Just acknowledging, like if, you know, I saw... Um, something on, on Instagram that was like, what if we checked in with our bodies as much as we check the notifications on our phone? You know, it's constantly trying to tell you something. It's constantly firing signals. It's just that we're not always attuned or listening.
1: On your website, you write that Quote, we believe that simple rituals inspire sacred experiences. When you move half as fast, you notice twice as much. Mindfulness is a lifelong practice. I think that really sums up what you just shared around there's so much richness in the simple and the small moments. It doesn't need to be a big production I'd love for you to talk about this idea of simple rituals. What is the difference between a ritual versus a routine?
0: Yeah, I think there's a reason that they can mistakenly be used interchangeably because I think they both um, imply a certain repetition but for me, the the difference, if I had to sum it up in one word, is really the intention. Because, you know, you can brush your teeth and that's part of a, you know, a routine and it happens every day and it's, and it's a habit. Or maybe if you really want to go this far, it could be self-care. But it can also be done very mindlessly. Like there are times that you could be so caught in thought that you're like, wait, did I brush my teeth? Oh, yeah. I, I taste toothpaste, so I must have, but I don't really even remember doing it. It's like the equivalent of, you know, if you've ever been driving and you just like arrive at your destination and you don't even remember taking a left turn and a right turn, but it's somewhere like your parents' house that you've driven a million times and you just can, you can just kind of get there on autopilot. Um, whereas a ritual, it requires reverence and I think that different folks would have different definitions for this. But for me, it's really important to acknowledge the shoulders, you know, of the folks that we're standing on when we participate, the the cultural context, what's happening at that moment in time. And then um, if we're using it as a rite or as a a milestone or a marker, which can be either something celebratory or, you know, even um, rituals around the opposite for grief, um, it's really important that that is infused in every small act that add up to something, you know, greater than than the sum of their parts. Which, um, in, which involves and 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 again requires a, a bit of formality to them. I think of rituals as a way of remembering, you know, because ultimately the state that we aspire to to access isn't something new. It's not something foreign. It's not um, taking ourselves um, somewhere that we've never been. It's a returning to like having a a two-year-old daughter. It's so easy to see how innate um, and innocent that curiosity and unmitigated joy and just unfiltered presence is. We come into the world with that but it's through all these learned experiences and and conditioning and especially in today's technological, you know, world of constant stimulation and news cycles and, and too much information um, that we, we kind of lose the, the natural ability to be connected and to, to remain grounded and to, um just see the beauty in 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 everything so i use rituals as as a bit of an act of preservation in that way you know like there are times that i've had the great good fortune of you know leading them and being part of people's really incredible ceremonies or moments like a baby blessing or you know, a a marriage. But the ones that, you know, end up holding the most weight for me are the ones that are just for me from me. You know, it's, it's done in private. There's no one there to bear witness. It's the lighting of a candle. It's the application of scent. It's a few deep breaths. It's making my tea in the morning. It's singing my daughter to sleep at night. Those things that are almost like these little threads that if you pull on are waiting to unravel this whole mystical universe that we are so lucky to be a part of. And when we feel that, you know, gateway kind of parting and showing us how to, you know, tap back into the gratitude, it's so much more graceful because it's void of friction. There isn't a resistance there's a a natural flow
1: with what you just shared what is a ritual that you've been leaning into as of late that has brought you closer to
0: yourself well as we're in a time of transition the, the season of fall. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fluctuations in the weather I I share in what you uh, named in yourself earlier as this kind of heightened anxiety. And so I've been having trouble sleeping. And when I do, I've been having like bad dreams. And um, so I've been placing extra care on the, the steps that I take before bed. And um, it's Again, just a series of really small acts, each of which on their own might not seem all that, you know, special, but it's the, the the sort of like series, the order in which they're performed, like the stages of a of a recipe that tend to lead me towards a, a better night's sleep and that's um, having a curfew for my phone. I put it I actually put it away in a drawer, it's not allowed in the bedroom. I dim the lights, I you know, read a book. So that I'm not looking at a screen um, in the hours before bed, and then I will. And this isn't just you know a shameless plug; it's real and true. I, in order to cultivate a sense of of groundedness, I do really gravitate towards our blend, which is called Earth, and it's really you know it smells a lot like the forest floor. It's vetiver and cardamom, and it's very base notes, and it's a cream, so it's really really thick and requires. Um, a bit of like kneading and working as you massage it into the skin. And I focus a lot on my legs because I think part of the reason I can't sleep is like restless leg syndrome, you know, and I actually like work the blend down into the legs, into the heels, into the arches of the feet and apply pressure there, which helps direct my attention there, which helps send the breath there, which helps bring the whole energy, you know, down and out of the head. Um, And, it's easy when mothering to like see how, uh, how much the, like a bedtime routine affects my daughter. If we don't do her little ritual of stories and songs and bath in a certain little order, then, you know, she doesn't sleep as well. And, I, and so it almost feels silly that I was like, right, when, at what point did I stop, you know, mothering myself? Or maybe I never started, but there's no time like the present.
1: Yeah, that really resonates with me. It's similar in Ayurveda a way to calm the mind is to um massage your legs and your feet with warm sesame oil mm. before bed. Um it's one of like the main things that can calm like a vata, which is like a very airy imbalance, so like too much um anxiety. Okay, so before you lead us through this breathwork practice and meditation. I'd love to ask you the last five questions. All right. What is your favorite place in nature? The ocean. What is the animal mineral or plant that resonates with you the most? Panda. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives?
0: Put our phones down, look around, breathe deeply, and give thanks.
1: What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you?
0: That nothing is permanent.
1: Complete this sentence, nature
0: brings me. Life, joy, reverence, connection, and a sense of groundedness.
1: I love that. Okay, now I'll hand it over to you to guide us through this breathwork ritual.
0: Thank you. Um, And thank you again so much for those thoughtful and heartfelt questions. I really got to get more into the esoteric than I think I ever have. So it's really an honor. And for those listening to set the stage, you can do this um, lying down or seated um, or even standing if that's where you're most comfortable. Um, but ideally you'll be able to have the privacy to drop in. So the safety of closing your eyes and holding still as best you can. And we set the stage so beautifully for um, a bit of breath work, which I'll lead us through. And it's a really uh, seasonal, you know, metaphorical breath that I think um, helps, you know, kind of pay homage to this moment in time being in autumn and, and you know the corresponding organ of the lungs, and, and just taking note of a process that's constantly at play that um, we can perhaps express and embody a little more gratitude for our ability to breathe freely and how lucky we are to have one breath and the next. And we'll do a few rounds of that as a way to kind of prime the canvas to receive. And I really view poets and poetry as some of our greatest spiritual teachers. Um, you know, in the words of, of David White, poetry is like a language upon which we have no defenses. And there was one that I just reached for without hesitation, um, which is by Sharon Olds, and it's called An Ode to Dirt. So we'll, we'll move through a few rounds of breath work, and then I will um, share this poem and If you want to receive the poem, almost like a guided meditation, I implore and encourage you to remain still in either your seat or laying down. Or again, if you're more comfortable standing or sitting in a chair, there's really no wrong way to do it. But see if you can start to tune your attention inwards by closing the eyes. making any final adjustments that you need to make in order to shape your body into a vessel, into a container that has good boundaries, that is static so that the movement and the cycles within are dynamic, ever-changing, ever-present, And taking the reins. To prepare, take a full deep breath in through your nose. And simply release it out the mouth. Again, just like that, breathe in through the nose. See if you can go a little deeper this time, past the rib cage, all the way to the base of the belly. And let there be a smooth stream, unconstricted air out the mouth. One more like that. Breathing in. And breathing out. We'll begin our samavritti practice now. Samas, Sanskrit for same, so equal parts breath. And I'll start by giving us a count. So you just focus on breathing and I'll ensure that it's equal and opposite. Inhaling through the nose for two, three, four. Hold the breath in, two, three, four. Breathe out, four, three, two, one. Hold on empty. Three, two one inhale grow taller like plants ripening in spring hold the breath in embodying the abundance of summer exhale like leaves descending in fall hold on empty embodying the chilling stillness of winter breathe in 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 In, hold it in 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 let it out 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 hold it out 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 fourth and final round breathe in growing taller like plants ripening in spring hold the breath in embodying the abundance of summer Exhale, like leaves descending in fall. Hold on empty, embodying the stillness of winter. As you're ready, you can let your breath return to its natural rhythm. Relieve yourself of the need to control it now. granting yourself permission to remain in this stillness and reside in the role of receiver. This is Ode to Dirt by Sharon Olds. Dear Dirt, I'm sorry I slighted you. I thought that you were only in the background for the leading characters, the plants and animals and human animals. It's as if I loved only the stars and not the sky, which gave them space in which to shine. Subtle, various, sensitive, you are the skin of our terrain. You're our democracy. When I understood I had never honored you as a living equal, I was ashamed of myself. As if I had not recognized a character who looked so different from me, but now I can see us all made from the same basic materials, cousins of that first exploding from nothing in our intricate equation together. Oh, dirt, help us find ways to serve your life. You who have brought us forth and fed us and who at the end will take us in and rotate with us and wobble and orbit. Ode to Dirt. Thank
1: you. Thank you for listening to the season two finale of Our Nature. Featuring Third Rituals, Jen Tardif. I hope after listening to this episode you feel inspired to use your intention to create more meaningful rituals in your life. Because this is the final episode of Season 2, I'll be taking a short break before Season 3. For additional Continent offerings, Be sure to follow at Our Nature Podcast on Instagram and subscribe to my newsletter at ournaturepodcast.com. Wishing you health, happiness, and of course, time spent in nature. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature Podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.